Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. What we've done in the last, what, four or five months now since uh, the pandemic, I think it just, it has, not think, it's accelerated all the conversations that we were having for the last five plus years. And also companies that were experimenting with, should we be fully remote? Should we have workers that are not on site? And then companies would pull them back in. Like you just think about the different trends a couple of them would be HP or IBM who went through these, these um, stages already. And I think what we learned in the last um, four months and within <clears throat> almost 24 hours is that because we are knowledge workers now, we really can go and trust and share. Sue is a global human resources executive who brings a strategic insight developing and leveraging leadership teams and HR functions. She's a client-facing, results-focused person who establishes trust with her clients. Sue has been a key member of executive leadership teams, including Course Hero, Turn, and Demand Tech. With her clients, Sue is known as a cultural whisperer who builds and leads agile, fast-paced, global leadership teams including HR operations and talent acquisition to implement strategic organizational changes and drive innovative solutions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. I am very, very happy to be with Sue today. How are you doing, Sue? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much for being with me today in this conversation. And I want to ask you, just to dive right into into the conversation about HR and the changes that are happening in the in the workplace and in the workforce right now, you have been in HR for quite a long time. And what what are the most interesting things that you have seen changing in the HR space, perhaps over the past maybe five years? Sure, great. Thanks again for having me. Um, that's a great question. Uh, one, I think especially the way I share it with people is what we've done in the last, what, four or five months now since uh, the pandemic. I think it just, it has, not think, it's accelerated all the conversations that we were having for the last five plus years. And also companies that were experimenting with, should we be fully remote? Should we have workers that are not on site? And then companies would pull them back in. Like you just think about the different trends couple of them would be HP or IBM who went through these, these um, stages already. 
And I think what we've learned in the last um, four months and within <clears throat> almost 24 hours is that because we are knowledge workers now, we really can go and trust and share where we've moved. Many of us have moved away from the industrial worker. You know, the industrial worker, there's, we still have that. We will always have manufacturing. We will always have um, businesses where people require to be on in the workplace, um, at the plant, in the lab. Uh, but then there are other workers, um, other employees that uh, don't require that, and they may work best um, from a remote workplace. And then, you know, the other is, that I, I think we're going to move to a blend, uh, because there are going to be other people that may not need to be in the office, but it's for different reasons. It's for, um, to overcome the isolation. The office is where they socialize. Yeah. Um, and it also might be a place where there's hardships or there's just, um, we don't understand what is in the home and it's much easier to be at the workplace. And if there's not a physical office anymore, like maybe a company will decide to go all remote. I think the best solution that those companies are finding is they, they still um, have uh, contracts with shared workspace um, so yeah. that those workers can go and have that socialization, have those conversations, have curious conversations, you know, with others, not just from their own company. So I think we, that's, we just, we accelerated the conversation in a short period of time and we showed that we can do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you have been in, in the HR space through some of the crises that the world has gone through, 9-11, the financial crisis of 2008, and now, of course, the craziness of coronavirus. And it seems that we always sort of change when, when there's a crisis shaking up the, the way things are. But how, I, I know you are very big on, on, on thinking about culture and, and thinking differently, if you will, about culture. How can we create a culture of, let's say, an entrepreneurial mindset where people don't have to be put through times and difficulties like the ones we're going through right now to change? but where change is something that they embrace constantly and they are constantly learning. So what can we do as, as organizational culture to, to be able to be in that constant process of, okay, we got to change to stay updated. We got to learn to stay relevant and, and whatnot. So what, what can we do about that? Well, I think um, I've always believed this and you're right. I've been, I, I, I am a boomer, so I'm on the end of the generations, which I think is super exciting. We have five generations in the workplace right now. Yeah. So in addition to those big um, crises, there's also, I've seen many business um, cycles, you know, the layoffs the, um, um, of many years, unfortunately. But uh, I think the one thing that I see, the thread or the pattern that goes through all that and going back to that culture is once that leader who starts that company begins to codify, and it might be in his own head, not on his or her head, not on paper yet. They codify what that culture is through then, I think later or further along in the business through the values and the behaviors. And I think if you have those anchors, those are the things that stay constant no matter if you're in a crisis or you're in a high growth or whatever. 
And the other areas are where you have to pivot and be agile. So your anchor, if your anchor is a value of we are going to be curious, we're going to remain agile, then even in a crisis, you say, okay, what are those behaviors that are going to, that are going to hold us through that, that we're going to be resilient, we're going to be gritty. Um, and same thing, if there isn't, if we're not in a pandemic, if we're not in, um, in a country in the United States right now, just reeling with what's social justice. I mean, those are two things that are coming at us quick and fast. Um, if we're, if let's say that, um, we don't have that tension, those same values are gonna be the anchors when you're in, in that growth again, that you're gonna go back to and said, we, are, we said we're gonna be innovative. If that's one of your values, we're gonna be transparent. We say we have a value of learning, so how are you learning? And that's where, if you have those values and behaviors at the top, the leadership is aligned with that, then it begins to permeate down. And you begin to put that, I, I would say that's where an HR, leader that's part of the leadership team can begin to say to the leadership we all own this and we're going to use this in all of our systems and processes that we have in the business i i i like that you are bringing how important it is for leadership to be role modeling those behaviors you know down the organization because well there are changes that can happen bottom up but if leadership is not involved, I think they will take way longer, at least in a private organization, right? In the world of society and politics, maybe things are different. But in the world of a private organization, those changes need to be more generally than not embraced and role modeled by, by the organization. So for HR people, you, you mentioned something really interesting. For HR leaders who are bringing important culture organizations to the C-suite level, and the board level, how can they create the case or sell the idea of for leaders to embrace some of the values that the organization needs to put forward, if you will, to remain relevant and uh, you know adding value and thriving in in a in a new reality where things are changing so fast. So how can HR people be more more intentional about being there and telling leaders? Okay, you gotta go in this direction. You gotta go in that direction. This is this is what's happening down in the organization, and well, you know, we need leadership from you. <laughs> yeah, so I um, that's that's a great question. And again, I, I'll use um, I'm a big reader, and one of the probably one of the bigger books, more relevant that I've read in the last um, fifteen years is The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. And you know, he one of the things that really stuck out to me is. If you're um, a people leader or any leader, if you're a chief a product officer, you're, you're, if you're in that C-suite on that leadership team, your first team is that leadership team. Your mm -hmm. second team is your functional team. So I, I really talk that when, I, when I'm in a company or interviewing, I have to get a sense that, I'm, that, the, that my role is part of the first team, which is the CEO, CFO, COO, engineering. And so then if there's alignment there, then I, then I lead with, I go out to the function and say, okay, based on what the business needs to do, this is what our function needs to do. And this is our product roadmap. And this is what we will be doing. And then I'll bring that back to the leadership, my first team and say, you know, are you holding your teams accountable to the values through how you're rewarding in a performance cycle, 
through a recognition, through employee relationship conversations? Are you having the hard conversations? Even in um, development, are you being clear and transparent that this is what our expectations are? So I think, um, and again, I opt into companies where the values are transparency, growth mindset, radical conversations. You know, that's where my um, sweet spot is uh, because I do believe for a business to move forward, it has to be healthy. And for me, the definition of healthy is conversations that have conflict and there's nothing yeah. wrong with conflict. Instead of running away for it, I run at it because I think that's how we all bring out our best in ourselves. If you have a growth mindset culture and if you want observations and feedback, you, you have to be comfortable in a culture where um, you value that and leaders then have to have to understand that leadership is incredibly hard and they also have to be able to come to that and not, I would say, kick the, that's a phrase I'll use. Don't kick the can down the road, you know, go at it because it's best for both the leader, the business and the employee. You know, everybody knows when the problem isn't being surfaced or people are watching to see if we are doing what we say we're going to do. Are we, when we say we're going, that value being, being a leader, um, part of that requirement in our company is walking and talking the values. And then if they see a leader promote someone solely on skill and they haven't been walking the values, people are watching that, you know? And yeah. so we have to hold ourselves accountable. And I, I absolutely love and celebrate that you're bringing this idea of, of conflict to, to the table. And, and I like, I, I also run to conflicts. Of course, if you can avoid them, you're going to try to avoid them. But if, if the conflict is there, I mean, why just run, you know, why not to, to find the ways to, to create something out of it, right? And it's the creative tension that happens when conflict arises in, uh, in the workplace. What do you think are perhaps the skills or the behaviors that HR practitioners and leaders need to embrace in order to maximize the opportunities that come out of conflict? And I ask this question because very often HR is there to, you know, to put out fires, meaning that you don't even find out what's happening in the first place that created the fire and go to the roots of the problem, but we only put it out, right? We put it out when it already exists instead of just digging deeper and finding what may have happened. So what, what are the skills, capabilities, behaviors that HR practitioners, HR leaders should be embracing in order to, well, take the most advantage out of the difficult situations like a conflict? Yeah, so for, um, I would say, and it, it, it's super simple, but very hard, but, um, if, if you talk to anyone that's worked with me in the past, they know once I, I, I've, oh, I've only been in companies and I've been in, um, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but every single company I chose either had values or was willing to go through that exercise when I came in. So again, I, that is an anchor for me. You know, I, I just, I would not select a company that did not have that. And then if the values, if they needed to be rethought through and needed to be defined by, having behaviors, I'll also work in a company through that. And then once I have that, what I'm known for is I literally print out that deck that sits on the internet or wherever. Um, and I carry that with me through a, 
every single day. It goes with me into a meeting. It's in my notebook. And it's, it's a visual for everybody to remember this is something we've all agreed on and we're anchoring our business on. So if I'm in a leadership meeting and we're going off the rails a little bit, people will go, oh, there's Sue flipping through the values <laughs> deck. And I'll just say, well, you know, men and women, we're, are we really holding ourselves to transparency right now as we're thinking about how we're going to communicate to the organization? We've said we're going to do this, this, and this if we're a transparent organization. So that might, that might help us as leaders become much clearer in a difficult uh, communication that has to go out to the company. And then if, a, let's say on the other end, if, um, if a leader comes and says, I'm having a really, let's, let's go the opposite. I have someone I really want to celebrate. You know, they are, they, but yet some other leaders aren't aligned. They'll go, well, let's, let's look at the values. Let's tell me why you really want to celebrate this and tell me why one of your peers might not think this is the right person. Let's bring it back to the value statement. If they're hitting all their work, you know, we're, but that is that again, I just, um, for me, it's such an anchor in the business. If people have the resilience and the grit to work it. And then again, for me, a very important value when I opt into a, a company is transparency. And I, I look for respect and I look for, um, you know, people want to be held accountable. And so those things, if you look at what those words are and if they're defined well in an organization, you can have re respectful, healthy conversations that are authentic with integrity. I think, you know, it, it just, but it takes a lot because these conversations yeah. can be hard. Yeah. And I was having a conversation with someone recently and, and she said to me, you know, we don't, we, we, for us, culture is organic, right? We let it happen, but it is anchored in the values of the organization. So we, 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 we shift when it, when, we're learning and when we are evolving as an organization, but we know that it is always anchored in the values that, that we have in place. And that, that makes it not easy, but easier than not having anything as, as a baseline to uh, manage conflict or have these difficult conversations in the workplace. So there are, I know there are two things that, that you are very big on, and one is agility and the other one is growth mindset. And I want to talk about both of them. What, what does it mean, growth mindset, in HR, what, how, how do we, and how do we embrace it, if you will? Yeah, I would say, um, and again, I'm going to put a preface that I've been in smaller companies. I'm a builder. Like usually I start it, I go in at about a hundred and for some odd reason, my trajectory is to take it to 500 and then someone comes in and buys it. So I've, I've worked with big companies, but it's been when we've been acquired. Um, so some of this, I have to say, it might be easier from the seat I sit in. Um, but growth mindset to me when I'm leading the people function in that size company means, and I will really um, work with my team this way, is that let's get a, to a yes for the business and the employee. And I do believe there are areas you know, where there might be compliance or administration, like you might Google it and it says you have to do this, this, and this, and I'll go, Let's see, is there some flexibility here? Um, and, and I also believe in a growth mindset, the words are yes and, 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 and instead of but, but have, you know, I mean, we wanna think about things, but you don't, I, I think too often, um, is, especially if you haven't seen a, a lot of 
uh, patterns or thing, you might throw up a roadblock. Yeah. Um, just because you've heard it's supposed to be done that way. And I, and a growth mindset with my team is saying, yes, there might be situations that where people have done it that way, but let's see if we can find a clever situation that works for our culture, our company, where we are again, staying within our values and also staying within, you know, whatever is regulated. We're not going to do something that's um, unlawful, but I think there are, there are ways to um, work through those situations where uh, again, you're a people first company, but also getting the results that the organization wants as well. And that's, uh, that's important considering that very often in HR, we, you know, the HR profession, I'm not talking about HR individuals. I, I, I always separate HR individuals to the HR system, the HR as a thing. And very often HR as a thing, as a system, is, is, doesn't behave that way, right? It is more finding the why something wouldn't work or why, why something should not be done than finding ways to make something happen and to make something work, right? And, and that to me is, is powerful because, well, we live in, an, in a day and age where creativity, curiosity, imagination, experimentation are the highest paid commodities, if you will, right, in, in, in any in talent. And, and I'm hoping that HR learns to embrace this, this idea of the growth mindset. In your, in your career, working with so many HR people, what are the main challenges that, or the main obstacles that prevent HR people from embracing a growth mindset? The HR people in general, I would say, maybe haven't been exposed to um, what I call that proactive strategic thinking function. And then if you do have a team that is open to that, they begin to see the results of the business. Um, again, I'm normally in a smaller company, I have a smaller team. And, and because of that, I really teach both the growth mindset and the agility. And I use, and I've always been in technical companies, so I use technical um, language. That's my natural language as I lead. For example, we, I lead through a product roadmap you know, this is what we're going to do with our product. Product is the function in, you know, in a quarter. And, and literally the other thing I have on my roadmap is um, hygiene. So I say, we don't want to, just like a company doesn't want to have technical debt, we don't want to have culture or, or people debt. So we're constantly working on that as well. And so I think, um, going back to your question, I think some of this is, you know, through the interview process or shaping as a leader, you just say, this is, you know, this is the way I'm going to lead. And then I think people who are not comfortable with that tend to self-select themselves out of an organization. And then even if an organization isn't ready for it in a function, I think the, the HR leader self-selects themselves out. Like for me, when I'm looking to bring these in, I, I, influence the leadership that things of compliance and administration can be outsourced now. We should not be spending time on that. That, that is, you know, what we want to be spending time is, is it takes so long to find the talent that is a good um, culture contributor, someone that's going to tr contribute. So let's, once we pass the baton and they're in the company, I call it that, we get the candidate, then we pass the, the baton to the employee engagement. Let's make sure we as a function are working on the right 
systems and processes with the leaders that are best suited to have employee engagement, people first in this organization. And that is when you start to lead and see that and see the results, I think there's just a natural that the business starts to understand what is needed at this time with knowledge workers and five generations in the workplace and all the systems that are out there right now that allow us to outsource so many of the um, so many of the practices that we many of us grew up on that had to be internal now are outsourced and that's a growth yeah. mindset that you just say you don't need to repeat what was before we we've yeah. come a long long way it is it is uh it is focusing on what's transformational about our about our work rather than about rather than focusing on what's transactional uh, which yep. again you know we still have to do it's not that we don't have to do it it's but we can find better ways to do it like outsourcing or putting those things in in the hands of technology by the way you said this word uh, culture contributor which i it's a new one for me so i love that one so you were going to add something to that Oh, I just, I'm real um, intentional about that, even in companies that I'm at, um, that it's not a culture fit. To me, that's like you snap the chalk, where contributor is basically saying, you're here to contribute. We didn't see if you were just a fit. I just, I think it has a real psychological, if you're intentional, that the work doesn't stop the minute you're, you're through as a candidate. That's, the work starts when you, when you are an employee in our company and how are you now going to contribute to our organization based on our values and our behaviors? And again, that's that anchor and it might be very different. And as a company grows and scales, I believe you should always be looking back at that. Like, our behavior still in line with what we need now. You know, we're no longer under a hundred, which is, you know, more family. Now we're at, I call it the wonky stage. We're at a hundred to 700. It's really, there's nothing that is stable. Every day, something's going to be different. So are you going to be able to contribute in a company that is, you know, fast paced? There aren't the right answers. Are you resourceful? And then, you know, when you get more, established are you going to be a contributor in this company where there's more processes in place you know i i just think um i think it's 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 the role of the leadership team and people leaders to to be working with their people and team and helping them see the cycles of the business and why they need to remain agile and grow because this the business is going to go through cycles so what they opted yeah. into as that take away culture fit, they have to opt in as a contributor and recognize that they have to change. They have to have that growth mindset because the business is going to change every day, you know, yeah, and they, and, and they, and by using a word like that and, and embracing the idea of what somebody contributing to something means, you're also helping that culture to expand from what it was before. So it's always like in, in a reshaping mode, if you will, where more people come in and more people have the ability to, expand and to make that culture better because fit like you said before means well this is the way things are and it, that's the way things will be forever and whether you fit on that i don't know but if you don't then you have to leave whereas having a contributor to the culture means well this is the culture but i'm expanding it in this or that other way i think that's powerful as yeah the, course, on I, the opposite huh? i will sometimes say to leaders or managers if they're having um you know, an issue or something, I'll say, well, are they a culture is, do you see a values crack? 
And mm -hmm. so, you know, I just use those words where a crack in my mind can be um, fused back together. But, um, and so I think those are words to recognize that there might be a, a season where someone might be not aligning with the values. And then again, that's that leader's opportunity to get that person or team back aligned. So, you know, I think those words are a little bit softer or pliable, maybe yeah. is the word I mean, because they're not soft. They're still, they're, they're calling out high expectations, but there's pliability in that. There's the growth mindset in it. Lo love that. And I want to combine that with the idea of, of agility, of course. And, I, you know, I always think about my own career. I am an engineer. And I think if I was practicing my if I was practicing engineering today with the same time frame that HR has been practicing its own processes, I would be working right now with a typewriter instead of a computer. Uh, because there are so many practices that have been around for so long and we know that they don't work and they are still in place. One of them, and I don't want to dig too deep into this one, but it's performance management, you know, the, the traditional way to do performance. Everybody knows I think it's something like 90 plus percent of executives know that that approach does not work, but it doesn't change either. So what does agility mean in the world of HR and how can HR people embrace an agile mindset? It, it just really is not getting uh, tethered to a process that was there before. And, and again, be forward thinking. So even when you say performance management, I mean, for um, I think great leaders, it's not just that one and done uh, yeah. anymore. It's a constant conversation. And I think if you're not having that conversation, formal conversation four times a year with real reasons of why you're having it, I think you're missing the mark on yeah. what, what people are expecting. They want those development conversations. They want the feedback conversations. They want to understand you know, where they're on the rails, off the rails. And th that's intentional and that cannot be done at a year mark. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've seen that for so many years, but what, again, we keep repeating it. So again, you know, I would say as a, as a HR leader, leadership team, and in a function, you have to really suss that out if a, com that a company that you opt into is either doing that already or has the willingness to really start to peel the onion back and say, where where are our systems that are not aligned right now with what we're expecting of an agile world business and people? And, uh, and then, and, and, and grounded in data too. I'm a real yeah. big data person because that's how you get the buy-in, right? Um, yeah. Because you have so many diverse thinkers. Like I would say one of the biggest challenges for me, which I loved is usually the the head of engineer. It's like, show me the data. Why should we do this? And that's a wonderful thing, you know, because that's that diversity and thinking to say, okay, I'll get on board with you, but I want to understand why this change will make a difference. And, yeah. and that's the beauty is if you have a leadership team and a company that's willing to do that. And then also say, you know, I, I, I talk again, I talk in um, technical language. I often, whenever we introduce something to the organization, I'll say, this is our version 1.0, guys, just like in technology. <laughs> you guys get to, you, you all get different, you get different versions. We're going to start with version 1.0. We're going to do a retrospective and we're going to take the best and then we'll move and version 2.0 is going to look a little bit different, but we're going to keep building. Like, I think if you get that natural language of the organization that you're in as a people leader, 
that brings so much credibility and respect as well. I think you have to be sharp in, in what the leaders expect. You, you, uh, again, it's a, it's a really, and that's the way I was, that's, I opted into, I was a, in a very technical company, my, my most formidable role. And I had respect from, it was um, only one other woman, the rest, the rest was men. And, and I had respect because I learned their language. I delivered, I was credible, you know, and I think that's the thing is just those foundational, you can't come in and, and come in without your data, without the respect, without the natural language. You have to learn how to work together, collaborate, and then push for the, for the hard things that will make a difference in a company. I, I love that is, is this idea of HR practitioners and leaders speaking several languages. You know, they have to speak finance, they have to speak technology, because, well, now every company is a technology company, whether they want to accept that or not. So I, I love that idea. And that's why, you know, I, I always say this, I always, people ask me all the time, you know, what do you think HR people need to do in order to remain relevant and, and adding value in these times? And I say, well, you got to learn a lot of non-HR stuff. And, and part of that is learning the language that your cost, your internal customers speak, because that's the, you, you don't, you can't expect them to learn your language. They may not care about that. And, or even if they do, why you are the ones serving them, right? Not the other way around. So, yeah, because you're serving them. Uh -huh. Our product is the people. Yeah. So, you know, in a company, uh, the engineers, the product team, their product is either, you know, that B2B, the B2C, our product is the people in the, in the organization. And so yeah. we have to be in service to them, not, not uh, like, again, I'll outsource all the things that they can yeah. do on them themselves. Again, you have a culture where employees and managers recognize a lot of their job is the managing and the leadership, but we provide yeah. a great tool that they can do that well. Yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap up this conversation, which has been fascinating, I always, and with the same question, what are you the most excited about the future and what are you the most concerned about the future? The most exciting for me right now is the knowledge worker and the complexities and the challenges of five generations in the workplace. I find that fascinating. I just love, cause it's not a one and done. It's, there's just so much and you have to stay um, I'll use Brian Stevenson. I, I read the book, um, Just Mercy, recently. Um, and in the very beginning, he says, you have to stay close to the problem. You know, he, he um, started Equal Justice Initiative. And, and I love that. Like, for me, that's one thing I think sometimes leaders think they can think about it from the boardroom. You have to stay close. You have to stay yeah. close to the issues. So I find... That's what excites me and gets me up every day, um, honestly, is I just, I find that fascinating. And then I think the, the, on the other side, I think the things that are gonna be very challenging is we have a time right now where we've disrupted two very critical um, things. And one is the, you know, do we have to be in an office to work with the complexity of the, of our knowledge workers? And the second is we have not done enough in equity and, mm -hmm. and social justice. And I think I just um, continue, will be part of the conversation to continue to push those issues forward. 
in the workplace and also in our, you know, just our local community. I've had a passion for these issues for a long time and I will continue to do that. But my concern is it will go out of, it will lose um, the momentum. And I really, yeah. really hope we do not. I really hope we do not. I actually was on a call last week. I'm just gonna, and this is like a small little thing, but it's a big thing. Um, it was six women who are on boards. They're women of color. Um, I'm part of a group called the Athena Group, and it's a women, it's an all women group who are on boards or in the executive, um, on the executive team. And Coco Brown, who is the CEO, had six women of color talking to all of us about what, you know, what we can continue to do to, to move these issues forward. And one woman on one of the boards, which I love this, she said, it's a PE and they've decided with all their companies in their portfolio that they are going to give minimum half day holiday on um, election day. And the reason that they're going to do that is because of voter suppression. Yeah. And I thought, wow. are we thinking forward enough on that? You know, yeah. we, we did June, Juneteenth, which I think is wonderful. If that was that was also we we need that we need to continue that but that's the next one we need to have companies starting to think about that that's a system systemic issue in our yeah. nation that we can quickly be agile on and say be very purposeful this as companies this is why we're doing this and this is how we can make a difference one of the ways yeah. but i thought yeah. that was I hadn't even thought about that, but that was a person speaking from someone who's so close to it, understands where our current systems are not working to undo yeah. a systemic problem. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, those things are not only the right things to do, but they also make sense from a business perspective because having your people vote means more accountability for the leaders they're voting for. And, and that also means that, you know, hopefully, we, we get more involvement from, from our citizens in the political and social issues that we are dealing with today. So this has been a great, great conversation. I'm so happy that, uh, that you were with me today. Thank you so much for being with me. You, you, it was all fascinating. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure to be on this. Thank you. And thank so you for everything that you're doing. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next conversation. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.